This is a One More Mosh Pit production. Continuing the Donner Party story here on Horrible History Abridged. I'm Zach. And I'm Stephanie. And things got kind of bad last time in the story, but this is where we get into why we remember this story today and why it's a common reference yeah, we've, to something terrible. We had a few, few deaths last time. We had a, a murder and, and a, all that, but... That's any given day back Yeah, in the, exactly. That wasn't... In some places They weren't still. in the shit yet. But I guess I'm just going to jump right back into it right here waste no time when we left you um the donner party had made it to trucky lake and they didn't know it but trucky lake would later be called donner lake mm-hmm. and also they didn't know that they that some of them at least would be camping out there for a little bit wouldn't it suck to be an area so mundane that your only claim to fame is one time the donner party stopped here right wasn't it around here that the donner party got snowbound what was the donner party they were a party of settlers in covered wagon times they got snow bound one winter in the mountains they had to resort to cannibalism in order to stay alive you mean they ate each other off they had to in order to survive don't worry mom i know all about cannibalism i saw it on (laughs) it was late october and wintry weather didn't usually hit this stretch of the trail until late november however snowfall began on october 7th and the party could already spy mountain ranges and stuff that were white-capped and moving downward. Yeah, that was the Sierra Nevadas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds beautiful. So some people were looking at it and going, huh, hold on. Yeah. Um, it would, at least on the lower peaks, you know, not mm-hmm. the ones that maybe say stay perma-snow-capped right. and stuff. I've been in a lot of places that stay snow-covered because of the elevation. But Yeah, I mean, I went to Alaska <laughs> once, and mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy to see as a, as a you know, poor little, little redneck southern girl from Arkansas these huge mountains that you usually only see on the television. Right. They're pretty, pretty amazing. But I wouldn't want to come across them whenever I'm, you know, on my way, like, across the country, traveling by foot or wagon or whatever. Yeah, coming up upon it and not looking through a windshield. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, God. Advanced effort teams were stifled by freak snowfall. So, like, they were going to try to take off. Yeah. Yeah, but they were stifled by freak snowfall. While they slept, a Herculean blizzard came through. Wow. It must have been bad. One member awoke and began screaming. Screaming, he could not see anyone else in the snowy sea that obscured everyone. He thought the rest had abandoned him during his slumber. The advance team would have no other choice but to turn back. The Donner Party would settle at Truckee Lake. It came on so quickly and so so severely that it buried them. Yeah, and then they just turned around and went back the other way. It, did they not think that it might be like traveling the same that the storm might be like? They didn't know a fucking yeah. thing about yeah, weather yeah, weather patterns. That's, These aren't. That was a silly question. This is isn't the crew from Twister or anything like that. They're, these aren't astute people. They're yeah. dumb. Well, they people. don't have the Weather Channel that teaches them things like this. And, right. You know. I mean, yeah, they had. They have some ideas of some things, but like this, I'll explain more about this winter in particular. But you know, a lot of perchance things hurt them as well as their own dumb. Oh yeah. Mistakes. Yeah, it's it's very much like a mo- 
movie, like just uh, just as some one of those stupid comedy movies that are just a series of people doing dumb shit. And, the comedy of errors. Yeah, and they're so annoying because you just want to say, hey, as an outsider, you're being real stupid, but they don't usually die in um, movies. I found this story and I had to put it in there. Um, in November of 1846, William Eddy borrowed a rifle from William Foster because, you know, we only had like three names back then. <laughs> and he killed a 900-pound grizzly bear. God damn. And you... He would wound it, evade its attacks while reloading this fucking flint rock rifle, ramrod, and packing it. He'd shoot it again, and then he would perform the coup de gras with a tree branch. Oh, my God. William Eddy is a badass. Holy yeah. shit. And, like, th- he did this daring act... While he was not doing so well. Yeah, for real. He was already like malnourished and weak. And I mean, yeah. he sounds like he I don't, maybe a, he was beyond the point of, of tired and exhaustion. And he was like full on crackhead, delirious. Like it, And it was a 900 pound grizzly bear. And it provided a lot of meat for a while. A lot yeah. of food for him. Yeah. And like, I don't know. He was seconds away loading that loading that old rifle from like being like the revenant. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. I, all I know is I know the story. And mm, yeah. the guy got attacked by a bear. Yeah, it's based on a true story, isn't it? Forgot about that. The winter that straddled the transition from 1846 to 1847 was one of the coldest winters ever recorded in the Western Hemisphere, and the Donner Party would be far from the only ones that felt its brunt. This same winter would claim the lives of roughly 600 Mormons in Nebraska. It was the main contributing factor to the Irish potato famine that would kill over a million. The Columbia River in Oregon ceased to flow as it had frozen solid. Holy it's shit. It's a freak winter. It was like a, an ice age, like a one-season ice Sage. That's insane. The winter would bring 10 blizzards the party's way. Snow was 20 feet deep in places. The elements made shelter a must. While some began building, others searched for pre-existing structures. The Breens, the largest family involved, lucked into finding an abandoned cabin. Wow, lucky them. Folks like the Fosters and Eddies built cabins that used large rocks as fourth wall, and as many as 16 people would inhabit these little structures. Three quarters of the party settled by Truckee Lake while the Donners, their employees, and the remainder of the other quarter set up five miles away at Alder Creek. You know, I, I know this is a hot take, but stories like this make me almost a little thankful for global warming. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it will. You'll feel cold a little bit here. And I do. You'll be like, man, I'm glad the winters are more mild, even though it's we're trading yeah, like... like <laughs> thanks, CFCs. And... We're trading with other people's time. It's going to be more pleasant for us. And that's the name of the game, isn't it? I know. I, I do feel guilty. You know, that could Fuck be our, you, I got mine. Could, could be our grandkids or great-grandkids one day deal with this I hope this bit doesn't like age badly like that's a lot of hubris to think like I can keep burning resources and it's gonna last for my time yeah I'm not gonna see the consequences of it yeah, we're, we're being real cocky in a Russian roulette game as, like, humanity, where we're, like, I'm we're talking feeling... shit and we don't know how many chambers we're away from the round. No, I don't, I don't, I don't feel cocky about it. I feel like shit about it. I feel like, but it, I feel like there's nothing we can do about yeah, it, so. you're one person. I'm one person. There's literally nothing I can do. I don't, I, one powerless person. I know. I'm so powerless. I'm I'm so impotent in my abilities to make change in the world. It's very sad. Like, we can destroy the world. I just want to be the one that makes that call, you know? Mm-hmm. While repairing the family's broke-down wagon, George Donner, 
And this is where his name begins to ring in infamy out into the annals of time. This is where things start getting particularly bad yeah. for the Donners, I, especially. Kind of gross. Yeah. So, it's going to be real gross. It's going to be pretty gross. Well, George Donner, the family's wagon had broke down, and he was, he was just he was going down to repair it, like pop a wheel back on or whatever. I don't know anything about wagon repair. But he cut his hand pretty bad, but he downplayed it. Ah, uh, he's just like one of the guys in a zombie movie that yeah. covers up his wound. <laughs> yeah, being a tough guy don't help you out a whole lot in these situations, you'll find. He downplayed the severity of this cut that would eventually become infected, become gangrenous, and eventually render his arm, like, completely useless. Wow. Talk about dead weight. But, like, he, he persevered through, like, many arduous tasks after with just one arm, while his otherwise helpless family looked on. They're depicted as, like... George Donner, who's, you know, a strong man of his times, mm -hmm. and then it's, it's his wife Tamsin, his doting wife Tamsin, and then just, like, a useless glut of others that, like, just stood by while their father was, like, trying to cut and pick up firewood with one fucking arm. Do you think his wife was really very doting? She was probably like, you deserve this, you son of a bitch. I told us to turn around and you wouldn't let us. You'll find at the end of the story that, yeah, she was at least a little doting. Mm -hmm. It's just a very funny thing to imagine. He's he, nobody knows he's been cut, so he's gradually becoming more and more. No, it's just not a zombie. He's I mean, not I, hiding it. Like, no, I, he's not concealing it. Like he, it's he downplayed it. No, but he downplayed it. everybody. Okay, everybody knew he had a cut, but like he downplayed its severity. So like he's getting sick, and and you know they're they're like, hey man, you you don't look so hot. And he's like, I'm fine, but he's like all pale and like sweating and like yeah. can't use one arm. And he's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Just <laughs> I've done similar <laughs> shit to this. Like you do no selling something like you it's do good. this shit. Like, very frequently. Try to quickly recount a story because this thing's all tangents. Because we've got off track so many times. It's fun though. It is. My mom describes a time whenever my pappy went out and was like cutting wood and like took like an errant swing as one does or you know hit accidentally let loose hit flat side and it bounced back up and like hit him in the face <laughs> and he uh, he finished splitting wood or whatever brought whatever in and was coming in and like mama's young so like I know this is like embellished like crazy but being a little kid he walked in and she said he walked in and I swear to you from like his hairline down to like his eyebrow it looked like his skin was laid over it oh. probably was oh was God. fucking laid over and blood had run. It looked like he'd cut off part of his face. Holy shit. And I imagine he did like I did and, like, laid it back up there and hoped for the best. <laughs> I said, give Daddy a kiss. I've had, I have fingers that shouldn't be there. Like, oh, gross. Yeah, I'll come from a long line of men no-selling huge problems. The stories that your mom tells about her dad are so ridiculously, like, cartoonish and... Oh, they are. It's be in, there for one. They are cartoon, uh, cartoonish. Some of the shit he's done is just like, how, how are any of you... Here. Like you just look at him in these stories as like a very profane Popeye with like tobacco juice going mm -hmm. down his cheek. But he gets in. It's like um, a Lampoon's Vacation movie. Like he's <laughs> oh, like yeah. Chevy Chase. Like all the ridiculous outlandish over-the-top bullshit it's really happening it has happened me for instance i've done my own dental work oh several God. times and stuff like that you it, there's a lot of it's, it's less you're tough and more like oh, this is a problem i don't want to deal with mm -hmm. maybe if i ignore it it'll go away well it didn't go away for george donner unfortunately george's brother and his family was, was with them but by all accounts jacob was frail and had been sickly most of his life not a frontier guy no. he wasn't really up to the task and the workload of this 
this trip, let alone the unforeseen circumstances. So he didn't like have his own family or anything. He did. Oh, he yeah, did. Had yeah. a wife and kids. He did. Um, <laughs> the Donners struggled to build a cabin, but the snowfall proved to be too formidable. Impended any real progress in construction. They resorted to temporary tents that would turn out to be a little more permanent. They would make like these tent structures. Or some of them would make these crude lean-tos. The bachelors and the hired help were left out in the elements. Housing the many children was a big enough task. Of the 81 in the party, half were children. Their children were exploited for work in this time, I'm sure you know, but like there were so much at this time that like five years before this, there was like landmark legislature that like limited children to a 10 hour work day. God, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so uh. you, to give you an idea, so like people were pumping them out like as yeah. a workforce and know. you know. Also the child mortality rate was high, so people hedged their bets. God, um, I know. I, all of this, everybody knows all of these facts. God, every time you hear them, like, it's just in Yeah, look at my Hear some of this stuff and think about it with, you know, carrying your offspring and all that and your family through this and think about it that way. Um, and think about what a hassle that and think about how, how much a handful your kids can be in our cushy circumstances. Uh, the Brings were traveling with seven children and they were one of these people that hedged their bets and like, eh, you know, mm -hmm. we want to have some left over after the rickets. Yeah. Ugh. Every one of them lived, two, carried to term, and right. into full personhood. <laughs> full personhood, yeah. Franklin Graves would decide to take charge. This is another, I don't know, this is our Daryl Dixon. I don't know. This is a pretty tough guy here. Um, pretty important to the story. Makes some shit happen. Franklin Graves would decide to take charge of the situation. Uh, resources were dwindling down to absolutely nothing, and he was tired of watching the faces of his family grow ever more gaunt with each passing day. He would plan an escape mission where a small crew would try to reach Johnson Ranch so they could send help. These early attempts would be all for naught as the weather would refuse to relent. Food rations were basically non-existent. The cattle that had survived up to this point or hadn't escaped were meager and malnourished, and so like butchering them wouldn't yield enough right. meat um, or very little the poor single men like all the conscripts and mm -hmm. you know, all the working fellas uh, they had resorted to eating mice they would catch like you'd be out looking for firewood and scare up some small rodent mm -hmm. that's awesome and great if you can catch it but then occasionally you'd have some other guy fight you for it right <laughs> that's because that shit was going on because oh, yeah. they had to be competitive with that Everybody's shit because eat, when they weren't catching little little animals to pop into their mouth they'd eat strips of both buffalo hide they pulled from like their already ragged clothing and coverings of yeah, shit or whatever they were eating their leather clothes so. shit that was made from buffalo pelts mm -hmm. uh the hide would be boiled down into a rule they this was something that was made but the usual application for it was this gray goop that they used it as adhesive it was a glue oh my God. and this is what their whole body was surviving on this was the only nutrients if they didn't catch mice. Right. And have you ever tried to catch a fucking mouse? Yeah, I have. I wasn't successful, so I think I caught it. I can't remember, but um, we had a snake, and one of the mice was going to feed Jimmy the snake, and the mouse escaped and, and went under the couch. But I think, I, think, I think our dog caught it, and I got it. Well, Franklin Graves continued to observe how dire this situation was, and people were burning up fleeting caloric reserves simply not to freeze to death. Like, your body uses a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. For temperature regulation. Planned to get his people out at all costs. 
James Reed had been exiled and George Donner was incapacitated by infection. So Graves saw his call to action here to step up and he was the closest thing to a leader that the group had at that point. Uh, he came up with this novel idea of crafting snowshoes. I mean, I don't know how experienced these people were with deep snow, but if you're not, yeah. it's a bitch if you are, but if you're not, you're really fucked. Graves' group of volunteers would make snowshoes and they worked. They went out and tested them. They worked well. Graves' team here that would set out to try to reach Johnson's Ranch would later be referred to by historians as the Forlorn Hope. Oh, that's sad. The Forlorn Hope. If that gives you any idea how things went. You know, I was really getting my hopes up thinking about, you know, well, he made the snowshoes and they work. Maybe he's an ingenuitive guy. He's going to succeed. We'll see. They knew if they set off from here... In an earnest effort, there would be no hope for return to camp. They venture out a couple of days. Mm-hmm. That's the point of no return. Them just leaving and setting off with intent is the event horizon. Like, they either make it and help everybody or they die. Right, and then everybody dies. Yeah, and everybody dies. So, you know, no pressure. <laughs> but they were imperative to everyone's survival. Right. The Forlorn Hope had a great asset in a man named Charles Stanton. He had made a similar round trip three times already. Wow. He's, d- he's done it. He's been there. It's like the group going to um, Vegas in the stand. Yeah. <laughs> Best to the dark man, strong. You are to leave now, today. You are to take... No food, no water, just the clothes on your back. God has not seen fit to show me who falls. When I re- did the rewatches of the miniseries, yeah. I was really getting those vibes from those parts. So we got Stanton, who's more experienced than anyone in his group. And you got the two Miwok guides, Luis and Salvador, were along for the ride. So they knew some shit. Mm-hmm. They took a very minuscule amount of beef because they didn't have any really spare they carried no tents, nor did they have a change of clothes. So they had clothes on their back and a few supplies. It was only supposed to be a six-day trip, but um, the Hope would spend a whole month and a half in those mountains. Holy eventually. Shit. Oh a little preview. Um, they were seen off by a bad omen. <laughs> Just before they left, a Reed family servant, after being ill for weeks, went mad, acted erratically, and then just died. Huh. I wonder what his problem Yeah, so they're starting <laughs> to see, like, I don't know. <laughs> I think the doc-, doc said he's brushing his teeth too much. <laughs> He was like he was like the preacher from Deadwood. Yeah, he's the preacher from Deadwood. That's so sad. <laughs> Who's also in this old stand miniseries oh, yeah. at the beginning. He's yeah. the, he's the soldier that lets the virus out. Yeah, he's just fuck up all around. Yeah. Well, I mean, they go to bury this guy, and uh, <laughs> this procedure would be anything but traditional. But it kind of set a precedent for things afterwards because they buried him. You know, they made the bar- a standard grave, maybe six feet deep or whatever the whatever yeah, the, standard yeah, measurement, whatever they did back then. Um, but it was in the snow there was no fucking ground yeah. and you put the talk motherfucker talk about in. only worrying about like the now and not the future like they're like well we don't want to see it we gotta stay here we don't want to see his body but like come spring <laughs> well people and their beliefs and customs or whatever I don't know if there was sanctity and putting them in there putting them underneath or away from everything but at that point why would you even fucking bother outside of like arb- 
arbitrary bullshit. Now, I said the snowshoes held, but it was, it was still not going to be easy. You were just going to be able to actually move right. some. A few had set out without them. You know, real optimistic folks. Why? Or, or slackers. Couldn't find any material. Um, so they gave up and returned. Yeah. Not all of them, though. Each raising of the knee is a fight in this yeah. shit. Even yeah. so you, you got to, like, yeah. muster up the will to live with every yes. step. Some were afflicted with snow blindness, and the elevation of the Sierra Nevadas would only exacerbate the effects. I don't think I survived. Like, you know how sensitive my eyes are? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, you, bright lights, yeah. I can't. I'm super sensitive. And I've been, like, sometimes when it's overcast and snowy and stuff, like, that's worse than just a full-on sunny day. Mm-hmm. It hurts. Well, Charles Stanton was an adept and experienced traveler, but he was inhibited by his stature. It being recorded as being about 5'6", Stanton had to take more steps and had a harder go in the snow than his counterparts. Being lower to the ground made him more susceptible to snow blindness. Despite all this, he had to be a navigator in unfamiliar territory for the most clueless followers. Uh, Luis and Salvador knew the lay of the land, but they had less than a cursory knowledge of this current brilliant path they were on, and also they had a less than cursory grasp on the fucking English language. So there was huge barrier there. I'm starting to get a sense why this group is called the Forlorn Hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then, you know, there was some motherfucker back at camp like me that was like, oh, motherfuckers are just going to die cold, hungry, and tired. Yeah. I'm going out rested. Just um, nap in the snow. And so the snowfall had fucked up their plans of following ruts. They're, so. they're Hansel and Gretel. Right. The, the birds had come by and eaten their breadcrumbs. Uh, so they were three days into this trip and they'd only made it 14 miles. They still had 50 to go. Stanton began to lag behind, catching up to the camp at nighttime. Five days in, the hope would rise to journey forward. Charles Stanton would pop a squat, light up his pipe, and tell the others he would catch up eventually. He would be found five months later, having taken shelter in a hollow tree stump nearby the campsite. So Stanton is you. Like, you know what? <laughs> I got bur- let me burn one more. I'll get this. No, no, I'll, I'll, see, this- I'll see y'all up there. No, 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 no. Y'all go ahead. I'll, I'll be up there. Yeah, I'll see y'all up there. I'll get in this tree trunk. I don't know how many years on this earth I got left. I'm going to get real weird with it. Meanwhile, block the wind. I'm going to roast this bone. Occasionally, the temperature would rise just so to a more bearable level, but with that, it melted the snow, made shit mushy, oh, and God. even harder to get. Luis's snow shoes aren't off. working in the mud. Yeah. So they're all probably barefoot now. Luis and Salvador were now the de facto leaders. If not for the language barrier, the Miwok duo could express the fact that they were just as lost as the rest of the forlorn home. <laughs> <laughs> so the other guys think that, like, when they're they're saying stuff and they're like, I, I think he's saying that yeah. we're going to take a left ahead. And they're yeah. saying, we are fucked. Yeah. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what the fuck is happening. <laughs> we got to lose these white people. Like, stop we following it, us. We are trying to just go We got to make it look like an accident. Like, don't follow us. We got to get out of here, Luis. <laughs> I don't even know what a Miwok is. <laughs> if Charles Stanton had made it and hung with him, he could have provided, like, one of the most crucial directions coming up because they would have found a place he knew. He was on the right track eventually, I'll say that, because it took them a very long time to get this point. After Six Mile Valley, uh, the Forlorn Hope would have approach a ridge and Stanton knew that he knew these parts well enough. He knew that if they would put in the work of climbing that ridge atop the ridge, they would have been able to see Bear Valley and they could see or they would be able to see a road that led to Bear Valley from there. Like an actual clear
cleared path and access that took it right there and that road would provide a relatively easy trail to Johnson's ranch and salvation for themselves and the rest of the group back at the lake um, unfortunately nearby there was also a downhill route spotted oh, yes. over the ridge the trip would take just a few days longer and that would bring them to a total of about nine days it was a little more than expected but they would have made it mm -hmm. in a lot quicker time and that would have launched the rescue effort earlier and it would save a litany of others yeah. and would avoid the more gruesome parts of the story we're about to get into uh, the forlorn hope took the downhill route pointed them due south into a 3,000 foot deep canyon holy you're going like a half a mile down into the end we uh, venture further on I'm gonna, I'm gonna like talk about the forlorn hope and the people that were in it so I don't have to introduce everybody okay. as much position group the group of people that would prove to be the saving grace here the Hail Mary pass that would salvage some good from this disaster uh, most of them had snowshoes. They were given a blanket or quilt and a ration of food. It included a strip of stringy dried beef, a little coffee, and a little sugar. The group was given one rifle, a few pistols, a hatchet, and tobacco for the men. Only for the men. Sure. Well, did, the, did women go? Were there any women in the forlorn? There are. Seventeen people would take off initially as part of this prototypical forlorn home. The starting roster, Sarah Graves Fostick, Mary Graves, William Foster, Sarah Foster, Charles Stanton, William Graves Sr., Fiddlin J. Fostick, you remember him? Yeah. William Murphy, Harriet Pike, Lemuel Murphy, Patrick Dolan, and Luis and Salvador. Amanda McCutcheon, William Eddy, and a hired Mexican herdsman, Antonio, and Carl Dutch Charlie Berger. <laughs> I guess Carl is kind of a form of Charles, I guess. I don't know. Um, some left because they were able to scrounge up the resources to fashion snowshoes out of oxbows and other refuse. Some were leaving out so that family or children they left behind would eventually be saved and some were leaving so there would be less people to feed it out. An Irishman bachelor, Patrick Dolan, joined up and quite generously left his ration of stringy beef, half with the Reeds whose patriarch was exiled, James Reed, and with the Breens and their seven fucking kids they brought along. Mm -hmm. Dutch Charlie and ten-year-old William Murphy would turn back because they didn't have the proper footwear. But older brother of William, twelve-year-old Lemuel Murphy, didn't have have any either, but he soldiered on without snowshoes. Well. By December 22nd, the food was no more. So on the 23rd, the real hunger started to set in. Patrick Dolan, now surely regretting his donation to Precious Beef, suggested an awful raffle. The man who drew the longest strip of paper would be killed and eaten. He would be sacrificed so others may live. Like somebody, it always comes up in these situations. Does, well, it, does it always come up in these situations? Yeah, it does, I, always. Okay. Did, that, did that one, what sports team was that in the 70s? that their plane went down. Did they did they have to be cannibals? Alive? Yeah, what's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's they, some definitely people... They ate each other up? <laughs> yeah. What, what sport was that? It. Rugby? <laughs> yeah, rugby, rugby or one of those European... Yeah. Well, the lottery was actually carried out. Ironically, Pat Dolan drew that long piece. However, no one had it in them to carry out tasks yet when the time came. William Eddy, who had earlier suggested a duel to the death to decide who was eaten, realized something pretty macabre. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he said that, like, he had a lucid moment in his crazed hunger and exhaustion he explained to the rest of the group that very soon one of them would simply drop dead anyway and they could eat that person no murder necessary and patience is a virtue that's what my mother tells me. I don't know what the take is but that's what she tells me <laughs> Charles Stanton had spoken enough while he was with the group for others to build an idea about what the landscape would look like on the road to Johnson's Ranch and, uh, and though they didn't know where they were they could tell by their surroundings that they had made a major wrong turn but they couldn't fathom when or where that erroneous 
turn had been made. So, like, they knew enough you? about like where they were going and the route taken that they didn't know where they were, but they knew for fucks sure they weren't in the right place. Maybe it was back when you decided to go down this steep right. ass hill as opposed to the other path that would take you up. Like, did they not have like compasses ridge? or any shit like that? Like, yeah, for had, real. They fucking had to. Or one map. They've got to have somebody that can at least read a map and had like. Or, or fuck a piece of wood carved into the shape of the state to yeah. like, oh, like we've been going this way you know this fucking knot in the wood so I mean naturally energy was very low among this group right sometimes they didn't have the energy to move the camp they set up yesterday imagine a couple mulligans were taken where everybody woke up and we'll start again tomorrow they barely mustered up the strength to progress at all and they didn't really know if they were going the right way so they didn't have the confidence in it right. um, from here things would get even more dire and I feel like I said that a million times. Yeah, because the story just gets worse and worse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is a, a shit snowball that is just rolling oh, yeah. downhill and it's broken off and you've got two shit snowballs rolling right. downhill. You know what a shit barometer is, Bob? Measures the shit pressure in the air. You can feel it. Hear that? Sounds of the whispering winds of shit. Friend, when the old shit barometer rises and you'll feel it too, ears will implode from the shit pressure. Beware, my friend. Shit winds are coming. Because you still got the group that's back there at yeah. Donner Lake. Yeah, we have no idea what's going on there. While they huddled around the fire at night, which was became customary on this trail. Um, I bet you mean huddled. Antonio, the Mexican herdsman I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. he died. And he was he died sitting alongside all the other members of the Hope. Um, no one knew until his limp arm fell into the fire, burning his hand badly. And I bet just it smelled fucking delicious. Yeah. And they all just went nuts. But they didn't let themselves get crazy here. Oh, but okay. They saw a like his hand is in the fire burning, he wasn't withdrawing it, and the horror of it became apparent, and they dragged him out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, one day someone was out cutting wood using the hatchet. You're, you're pappy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. somebody's, out, somebody's out cutting firewood. On the backswing, the business end of the fucking axe flew off into the woods, into a snowbank, or somewhere. It was never recovered. Uh, Chopping wood was out of the question. Uh, the group would make shelter out of the only resources they had themselves. A human tent would be made. And body walls and a blanket roof and body heat just traded. That's all they had. It's just a pile of gross, stinky people. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. who, how do they decide who's on top and who's on bottom? Oh, my God. Dutch this is oven. A Dutch oven. Under a blanket. <laughs> with just, they have no control over their bodily functions yeah. anymore. They're just, just farting go, and pissing and they're just all a big pile of gross. The cold was still way too much. Yeah. And death would claim a pretty unlikely victim, I thought. I don't. I didn't really get his age, but like, yeah, I figured this guy would make it a little bit longer. But then you had guys like Stanton that mm-hmm. tapped out earlier. Um, now the forlorn hope had set out under Franklin Graves' leadership, so this was our guy that stepped up in the story. Okay, the, he saw he the need. The, did he make the snowshoes? Hmm? Was it him that made the snowshoes? It was his idea. Yeah. So yeah, he you know, he spearheaded this mm-hmm. last ditch effort. Shit here. Um, but matters of nature. Nature's not cruel. Nature's Nature, indifferent. It's indifferent. Yeah. Um, and it's certainly not a meritocracy. No. So, um, the the horde winner would claim Franklin Graves. Well, maybe he was one that, like, volunteered to be on the top of the dog pile. Yeah, he was really stepping up. He would ultimately succumb to hypothermia, but hypothermia was not included in the lexicon 
of the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, this is ape brain, reptile brain shit. But, so everyone blamed his death on hunger, including he, himself when he was dying. He thought he was dying of hunger. Oh, okay. Yeah, like he didn't, he wasn't thinking he was dying because his body couldn't regulate heat anymore. Because um, he was he was just as much as everybody else under the impression that his demise came from an empty stomach. Right, they didn't understand. A growly tummy your, killed him. <laughs> your organs shutting down from hypothermia and stuff. And- um, Graves implored his daughters to eat the physical husk he left for once he shuffled off this mortal coil. Ew. So like he's uh, he knew he was dying. Yeah. He was like, y'all gotta eat. He's like, that's the only way. He, he wasn't being like crazy poetic no. or dramatic or no, anything. He's, just, like, he's like, I'm dying and like I'm gonna be the only only yeah. nutrition. Yeah, he was being logical and practical. Hypothermia would descend upon Patrick Dolan. Oh, he thought he was gonna get out of it. Right. Um, he would exhibit one of the freakiest symptoms of its brutal final stages. There's a behavior shown in some hypothermia sufferers known as paradoxical undressing. Mm-hmm. When one gets super cold and hypothermia starts setting in, the blood vessels constrict and it starts holding all the heat towards the body's core. And towards the end of the condition, and it just running its course and saying, fuck it, the body just opens up all those blood vessels. Uh, the sudden rush of heated blood goes all over the body and the person will get the sensation that they're overheated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like all of your blood, it's like your body realizes like, oh no, the extremities are dying. Right. And like frostbite and like we better send some blood that way. They start shedding garments despite the cold conditions that gave them the hypothermia in the first place. This is common enough that like sometimes law enforcement initially mistake urban cases of hypothermia, which is awful that that still happens today. Oh, that's really but, sad. Um, but like the victims are misidentified as victims of sexual assault because of their being found in random states of undress. Naked. Yeah, yeah. Getting... it's believed that about half of the victims do this. Wow, so. isn't that um, the Diet Love Pass? Wasn't that one of the yes. series? I, I can't remember what the Diet Love Pass. I can't. I don't know. Oh, okay. I can't even see the spelling in my head right now. I don't know where that Y is, and it always fucks. Yeah, I don't with know me. either. Been like breaking the not breaking the case, but like new findings in the last year or two. I think so. And plus, it's in Russia, which makes it inherently more fucking scary. Oh yeah, yeah. And a lot of the theories on what happened are very, very, very scary. But we won't go into that here. That's no. for a later date. We got right. When I get around to writing that one. So Christmas Day, 1846 rolls around, and Dolan begins to exhibit this manic behavior. But the attempts of the rest, Dolan would escape the human tent. Mm-hmm. He was exhibiting another symptom, which is referred to as terminal burrowing or hide and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolan disappeared into the blizzard. He would return, but he would immediately drop dead. Wow, that's that's really bizarre. <laughs> he exhibits two acts of dying dogs that is observed where an old dog will go out alone out in the woods to die alone but also we've had pets disappear for a long time my family and I and then they come back just to die the rest of the hope are on the brink of actual starvation at this point besides the hypothermia but um, their bodies are eating themselves Uh, their livers are starting to break down and release acetone so like when they're under the blanket they're breathing breath that smells like nail polish remover in each other's faces it's hungry turns to starving, the hunger pains will get worse in inverse correlation with glucose levels. About 36 hours into the state of starvation, the hunger pains, just when they get their most severe, completely cessate. Like they go, okay, we are handling all nutrition internally now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the body switches tracks and it starts eating itself, basically muscle yeah. and fat. Uh, it'll put itself back on a regular track once you start eating again and getting outside nourishment and then your metabolism will kick right back into high gear. It's a disease.
design flaw in the human body <laughs> and the hunger pains will return with such ferocity to, that could cause madness and yeah. more on that latest. Also there's a condition called refeeding syndrome and it can occur because of this abrupt, abrupt shift causes a lot of electrolyte problems and metabolic stuff and it's fatal as we've seen in Holocaust victims after their liberations from concentration camps. And the, so like a lot of bad stuff can happen because you're starving but mm -hmm. like it still can be bad once you start eating again. Yeah I mean you've seen I think I've seen movies where something like that happens like you eat again and then they get really sick and you know. Lemuel Murphy who as you remember set off without snowshoes and persevered he had turned 13 during this expedition so Christmas is his birthday <laughs> everything. He was out gathering firewood when he spooked up a mouse. He would capture the little critter and he popped it into his mouth all furry and wriggling and he just chewed ate it alive. I know people could eat more shit back then but like that would be a feat to eat a fucking live mouse uh, you'd no, have to be hungry me, and he was that makes me think of that french guy the little particle of nutrition fell into his belly and began being rapidly absorbed and this kicked murphy's metabolism back into high gear this was enough to turn the new teen crazed he had to be restrained and calmed down as he bit the arms of his partner screaming give me my bone over and over again give me my bone so he was sat down by the fire once he was subdued he would later die in the middle of the night so if you keep in count the camp now had four corpses laying about it. On the brink of death from starvation, the forlorn hope had no other choice, ushering in the darkest chapters of our tale. The group would remove the heads, hands, and feet of the cold cadavers before they got into the nitty-gritty of the harvest. This is a common practice among cannibalistic societies as it dehumanizes the carcass, you know, makes the process easier, makes it similar to large game. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't you don't dress a deer with its head still right. on. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you feel, the way you feel dressed stuff you get rid of that stuff first sometimes in the process but also like you don't cut the deer's head off immediately no but like if the, instead of the deer's head it was this guy you knew that well, was yeah. moving around just hours earlier right. it'd be a little bit harder <laughs> to Obviously. carve him up when he's gawking at you yeah i was just saying that yeah. you know it, it, even if they were dressing an animal once you start butchering the animal you take its head off first. right but but they so did they that were, first right. no no yes. human hands and feet no human head right. just to Exactly. Carcass. It was a dual purpose. It's just meat then, yeah. anyway. <laughs> yes, the, the, their eternal spirits had already gone off to whatever yeah. whatever land mm -hmm. eternal spirits go. Of comforting make-believe. Mm -hmm. Having marched and starved for months, the bodies only provided sparse amounts of muscle. Opting for high iron organ meats, the group would cut out the hearts, livers, and kidneys. Still very disinclined, they placed the meat on steaks. They were careful to group up based on who would eat what, so no one had to eat their own family. I mean, it would make a difference for some people. Yeah, yeah. The steaks of flesh were held to the flame. The smell of the meat cooking rivaled that of beef or pork. The aroma of browning flesh made the group salivate, almost going ravenous and mad from the hunger and anticipation of eating it. Luis and Salvador, unsurprisingly seeing this act as taboo, abstained from the feeding in quiet horror. Yeah, they probably <laughs> had some religious beliefs that right. was like, you know, this is how demons are made or something. The rest sat eating while openly weeping and trying not to look each other in the eye. For anyone to survive at this point, sadly enough, like, cannibalism was imperative. Mm -hmm. It was necessary in this situation. So I can't sit back all, you know, warm and recently fed talking about how could they fucking eat another person? Yeah. I mean, I'm not starving right now. I can't. Yeah. So I can't look. You can't judge these people as no, much as you want to. I don't understand how anyone could judge this, honestly. I, right. I mean, seeing it as taboo Social because it's norms. a religious mm -hmm. thing. This isn't a this isn't a society we're familiar with. This is something that's happening completely outside the realm of 
possibility. I think humans have like a stronger brand of oxytocin or something like that that like makes us more inclined under normal functioning, under normal mental function to preserve life and take care of others. Whereas like other animals, other mammals have that, but like also like everybody has a story or at least has heard a story about a pet or animals that eat a couple of their offspring whenever yeah. they have them because <laughs> right because they have different priorities than we do so yeah. but shit starts changing once you get in certain certain yeah, situations and we'll see that i'm not a, i'm not a proponent for cannibalism but i'm just saying in this situation i don't see how anyone could fault them for I can, doing this I'm, I'm just saying i can i can see their point eating other people and i can see their point being adverse to eating other people yeah nobody oh, yeah, that, yes and that's right yeah. it's like i don't know what i would do so i have no i have no judgment towards this because I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I could, or if I would, or if I'd be first in line, or if I'd be one sitting there crying while I'm eating. Yeah, I don't. So we don't I know what we would have did. We weren't there. Right. That's why you got to look at a lot of things in yeah. history or stories. And that's why I say I can't. I don't understand why anyone would judge that and not. I don't understand why anyone wouldn't do this. Well, like, I can understand why. It goes into do it, us but. judging our own intent versus other people's just outward behavior. Yeah. We don't know what what anybody else is going through. Right. And other cliches, yeah, walking in shoes of others. Mm -hmm. A little luck would befall the forlorn hope. The snow stopped, the temperature dropped, and the ground would be hard. And it made it for much easier foot slog. They would strip the remaining muscle from the dead comrades and make jerky because they had a still weeks long trip ahead. They had no idea how much longer they had, no. but they needed road snacks. <laughs> uh, the meat harvested would only keep them fed for four days. Now, while I could believe that these corpses are largely bereft of muscle at this point they've been eating themselves already so like also not skilled human butchers so like yeah. they're not getting they're not getting all the meat they're not really scouring it the source that i used primarily for this writing is a book called the indifferent stars above it's about the donner party and other wagon trail shit back then really detailed a lot more detailed than what i'm giving you here but by a man named daniel james brown and brown professes that franklin graves alone based on the available stats and and, you know, averages of that time in history. Mm -hmm. He surmised that Graves alone should have yielded at least 66 pounds of meat mm -hmm. with organs and muscle and all that. I have no idea how educated that guest is, yeah. but it frightens me and concerns me a little bit. Mm -hmm. But let, I do I applaud his precision with yeah. about how much. It, I'm sure he, you know, he, and the thought okay, and research a, that went into that figure. He probably did know how tall he was. And, you know, that he probably just yeah. knows there's some formula of this many, this tall average man, you mm -hmm. know, weighs approximately right. this much, human skeleton weighs this much, this much as, you know. He applied him to an algorithm. Yeah. Um, before they knew it, they were out of food again, so they started eating their shoes. Mm -hmm. That's a normal trope in these stories. Right. Uh, they would have to proceed barefooted, though, from the baby yeah, their shoes. Yeah, that seems very... I uh, it seems like a big oversight for me, but then again, to eat your shoes after eating a person, yeah. I figured, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were thinking about it, like, ah, we gotta eat these people, I'm not fucking walking barefooted in the snow. Well, their clothes were all, like, thread bare and wet rotted and shit like that so like they were in rags and the temperatures dipped into the teens it wasn't long into the proposal of cold-blooded murder was brought to the table again it was william foster that would bring the idea of murdering luis and salvador wow. and yeah this is more me and mine behavior and if you got to eat a person you'd rather it be a stranger than somebody you knew and like real familiar with probably really bonding with and luis were, and salvador they were mexicans and they didn't talk like
back then and yeah. I think William Foster's just a big ass racist. They were Miwoks. Oh, I thought you said, oh no, Antonio, Antonio was the Mexican. Yeah, Antonio was Mexican. These guys were Miwoks. I'd seen places where they were attributed to other tribes, but Miwok is what I found mm-hmm. most of the time. Regardless, they're not white and yeah. so yeah, it's easier, oh we can eat them because they're not like us. And, and they're, they're also for, for all intents and purposes invading their homeland. Right. But we won't get into that. That's That covers too much of American history. Mm-hmm. Well, the group hated the idea, so I guess some people were bonding with, with mm-hmm. the Miwoks, especially William Eddy. The next morning, the group awoke to find that Luis and Salvador had split. <laughs> they could have overheard the prospect suggested by Foster, or they could have been tipped off by Eddie or one of the others. They were like they were like at their little camp, not, not as close to the other guys, and they're like, mm-hmm. do they think we can't hear them? Like, holy sh- So they're going to eat us? What the hell? Like, we got to get out of here, man. Like, they're just... We just behind, there, came behind this tree to take a piss. All over there whispering, yeah. but like with the projection of like an over-enthusiastic improv performer. <laughs> Uh, you got Wayne Brady talking yeah. about. <laughs> First, we're gonna we're gonna whack him over the head. Then we're gonna butcher him. Going through the Wasatches. With, Ain't no mountain high. <laughs> Um, as they haphazardly headed south, the Forlorn Hope found themselves below the snow line, and this meant the possibility of encountering wild game. So Ooh. some things are getting better. The group split up and began to hunt, all Scooby-Doo style, groups of two. William Eddy and Mary Graves happened upon a deer. Oh. Eddie exerted what little energy he had left, lifting the flintlock rifle, and put the deer in the archaic sights. Yeah, the hunting couple would follow the trail of blood. They would find the deer downed and in its death throes. William slit the dying animal's throat, and the pair would both take knees beside it and take greedy gulps from the blood coming from the slice. Yeah. Uh, can your body process blood no, like that? No, you, you'll throw it up. So they're quenched, so they drag this fucking animal back down. The other hunting group's luck would tend towards the negative compared with that of the Eddie Graves duo. Uh, Sarah Graves and her new husband, none other than Fiddlin' Jay Foss, which would keep the trail jaunty with music through Nebraska. So these two were paired up in the hunting effort. Um, exhausted and depleted, Jay killed over during the hunt. Aww, he would fiddle no more. That's really sad. I mean, I don't know what was better, keeping up the morale of the camp with his, you know, uplifting fiddle tunes or beating them for a few days. Let's bring up a kill count infographic here. <laughs> um, another tally. Uh, the Forlorn Hope effort had taken both a father and husband from Sarah Graves at this point now. The Fosters, empty-handed from hunting, came upon the heartbroken Sarah. She told them of the news. The Fosters barely let Sarah finish her sentence before asking if they could feast on Jay. At least they asked, I guess. She gave her blessing as she believed Jay was no longer aboard the vessel, and the Fosters butchered him on the spot. Damn. Like, they, they went to work, like, before she'd walked off. Like, Holy they just shit. had at it. Um, they took his limbs and torso upon their backs and hauled him in pieces back to camp. That is some Texas Chainsaw Massacre shit. Hell yeah, it is. Uh, despite William Eddy and Mary Graves' bounty of venison, William and Sarah Foster roasted Fostick's heart on a stake and ate it while the others had deer. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they had developed a taste for the long pig. Too so, enthusiastic about that. So the Hope's rank had shrunk from 17, now down to 7. Yeah. <laughs> there were five women and two men. Mm. Uh, the group had bottomed out in that canyon and began to have their feet ravaged by sharp shitty rocks. Oh, <laughs> so, 
So they're getting the worst part of every hardship. They didn't have kids, and I was Sarah Fostick. I would probably just be like, you know, go ahead and take me to. Like, I am not doing this anymore. I, I don't have any figures on. There's too many people in the store and their ages and stuff like that. So I didn't put in the due diligence, and I'm sorry, but I don't know anybody's ages. But I imagine Sarah Graves was like a younger bride. I don't know in this situation when you think about people getting married in this age yeah. that Sarah Graves could have been 14 fucking years old for all right. I know. And he's like, I'm imagining him like a grubby old prospector right. playing the fiddle like <laughs> with no teeth and like, like yay! <laughs> fucking Will Ferrell, Gus Chiggins, <laughs> or fucking Tom Waits character in the uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Only more over the top. Because he played the fiddle. He yeah. was a dancing little fiddler guy. Well, William Foster would suggest murder again. Um, he thought that the next mail should come by Amanda McCutcheon. Can grocery shopping? He's yeah, just he's like just picking like, out which one. He's already got like the hierarchy of like. He's got his menu planned who he's out. Gonna like, eat. Yeah, he's, he's meal planning at this point. God. William Eddy declined him on principle and because she, she had children left behind. And yeah. like, well, you, Foster threw some sales pitch and shit on it. Like, like, she's only got two kids. She doesn't have a husband. Wow. She does no other family on this trip. Like, yeah. And like, some accounts say that William Eddy like threatened him at gunpoint or like yeah. threatened him, but I don't imagine William Eddy was doing any kind of fucking frat boy arm swinging grandstanding or anything. He may have just showed him a weapon and said, no, just stop. Yeah, right. Don't. Just fuck off on it. Drop. Later, William Foster would suggest both Grave sisters. <laughs> and you know, he's going back and going, they've already lost their dad. Yeah. Sarah lost her husband. <laughs> he's like, they're both childless, fatherless, and one's a fucking widow. Yeah. Hey, come on, man. You used to be cool. <laughs> now, I told you, uh, this kind of hunger and, you know, actually going through with it and breaking that seal and eating a person will change you on a mental level. That which you have just eaten, that which your teeth have just torn apart, your taste buds have savored, that was human meat. It won't turn you into a Wendigo, but maybe the Wendigo was based on what eating other people did to a person uh, outside of like maybe the bronze diseases and stuff that come yeah. from it. Um, this is called anthropophagy. Rather than the mind just viewing eating flesh as a terrible necessity, it actually switches gears at one point and you start actually craving human flesh. It's not like a uh, supernatural, the hunger situation or anything like that. But like, yeah, you view people as food. I mean, yeah. it's a food source. But Your the fact like, that it was... I ate that once and you can yeah. eat that again. The fact that it was husband and wife, though, it sounds like it was probably that for one of them. And then it was like the folie a or whatever. Folie a do. where, That's yeah. what the next Joker movie with Lady Gaga is called. Huh. Yeah. A mania or a psychosis yeah. of two individuals a sharing of, it. Yeah. A madness of two, yeah. I think is the translation. But yeah, so... One of them probably because what are the odds that the only two people in the group so far that have become like full on cannibals because they want to be mm-hmm. our husband and wife? Yeah, and you know that bitch is whispering in his ear. Mm-hmm. Did I say offer up Luis and Salvador. <laughs> Nobody so. likes them. They're brown. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it was all the woman doing it. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's what actually when the, when I wrote this thing I said something about her being a harpy and like putting her husband up to shit and like yeah <laughs> having him take the heat but it was really her. Own. 
ideas. Where was your basis on this? I pointed it out that it was baseless speculation, but mm-hmm. I still wanted to be misogynistic. Right. I want to be informative, but I still want to have my prejudices. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised just how quickly humans can turn feral and get into this frame of mind. You've heard people say, like, the only thing between the United States and a revolt is, like, three Miss Mills or some shit like that. Like, mm-hmm. if they starved us for, like, a day, we would fucking lose our shit. Yeah. But if you need, like, more real, authentic examples from recent times, uh, Google Russia 1920 famine. Yeah, don't look at the images. No, I mean, don't Google this if you don't want to hear or see about this, because the particular image I'm thinking about will probably pop up. If you want to see that, Google that. For the chickens and pussies out there that aren't going to do it, or the reasonable, rational humans. Yeah, people who just don't want to see this. That aren't me, that aren't going to look at horrible shit like that. Don't Google it, but I'll describe it briefly. You'll see two very haggard, grizzled Russian citizens, a man and a woman, a couple, very bundled up because it's Russia, and they have a table out, which is a meat display that has some very terrible items for sale. Uh, very, very identifiable pieces of children and others. So, yeah. Um, but it's it differs from society, social norms, and all those other factors. So our results aren't typical for humans, <laughs> how you're going to act. You don't know. That's why I go back, kind of hold your judgments. So some folks, like the Fosters, just turn quicker, I guess. So we come to another account that is murky, to say the least. It's I had to do a lot of cross-referencing with very little roots for my efforts on this one but this account i can't get anything concrete so you can come to your own conclusions on this one and blame who you want the forlorn hope as they told it would stumble upon two familiar faces two former members even as the story goes the group ran into luis and salvador the miwoks hopeless and dying were done a mercy by way of one to the head each from foster's flintlock rifle luis and salvador were apt and they knew the lay of the land they knew the kind of things you'd run into out there they would have been all right, I think, if they'd never run into the Donner Party right. or if they escaped from the Donner Party early enough. I think they would have been okay. Right. If they if they wouldn't have been snuck up on by this right. crazy fucker. And they were much more fit from a lifestyle yeah, of like being migratory. Were, and They were more suited to surviving in the, in the wilderness than anyone else. It's just speculation, but like a lot of people lean towards Foster just murdered. Yeah. Foster found them, or they right. found them, Foster murdered yeah, them. Yeah, just snuck up on or them. Whoever. They were probably asleep or just had their backs turned, whatever. But. I just figure Foster would have been the trigger man because even though others wanted to eat him too, he was the one that brought it up. You gotta do the deed when the time comes. You make the judgment. You swing the sword, motherfucker. I kind of assumed he found them on his own. Like, not with the group. Like, he yeah. was out scouting right. and hunting and oh, he came across yeah. them and then he came back and was like, yeah. oh man, guys, oh, they were they were dying and mm-hmm. they begged me to kill them. Or he just had dropped all pretense and was like, I found Luis and Salvador munching on his arm yeah. and everybody just like kept his secret for him. Two Miwok guides who gave him so much help and had been companions to them. They and, had And they had gotten away. Yeah, yeah. Thought they got away. And they had their organs eaten and their flesh dehydrated into Miwok jerky. Well, they'd run into a little luck and they run into some Maidu Indians. Uh, the tribe would take them in just two days after they butchered and fed on a couple of Miwoks, which were an ally tribe to the Maidus. They 
may have known them. Who knows? (laughs) They may have traded with them and all that. They still had pieces of Luis and Salvador in their meager luggage. They wisely did not divulge this information. The Madu children cried from fright upon seeing the gaunt, shuffling, bloody zombie people that the survivors had become. The remaining members of the Forlorn Hope would get some much-needed rest at the Madu camp after they were fed a paste made from pine nuts, grass, and acorns. So that was probably not very satisfying or even nutritional, but like a safe and slow introduction of regular food back into the diet. (laughs) And probably wouldn't give you refeeding syndrome. After resting, the Forlorn Hope would set out on the home stretch for Johnson's Ranch. They still wore rags that just hung about their emaciated bodies. They were still shoeless, and as they set out the trail, cordially greeted them with a torrential downpour. They had been fed and rested, but it wasn't enough. They hadn't recovered in any profound fashion. (laughs) One meal and a night's sleep isn't going to fix that shit. Uh, Cold and wet in their bodies were just quitting on them. Like, they would walk a hundred yards and then rest, and then the rest took longer than the walk, and they They repeated this process for two miles, and that's when six of their bodies completely gave out. Kill switch, like, you gotta stop, or you're gonna die this moment. So they had to sit it out. Only one member of the Forlorn Hope would keep on going, William Eddie. Eddie would make it to Johnson's Ranch. He told the people there about the other six before he was laid in a warm bed. The ranchers would make short work of the rescue of the others. Just like William Eddie tracking the deer he shot, the ranchers to the rescue followed Eddie's bloody footprints back to the remaining six of the Forlorn Hope. (laughs) Shoeless, bloody feet were leaving red beacons in the snow to lead him back. Seventeen would set out on the Forlorn Hope, and seven would make it to the actual destination. So the supposed six-day journey took the group a month and a half. So the rescue missions could go out and start getting the rest left back, snowbound at Truckee Lake and the other location. Better late than never, right? Well, not exactly. <laughs> it might have been better that they nobody ever went and yeah, witnessed. Yeah, better for them. Yeah. Better for the rescued mm-hmm. Well, had they went the right way and made it in under 10 days... Truckee Lake would not have turned into an absolute horror show because things had gotten bad back at the temporary homestead. But we'll get back into that on the next one where we will go to the main course uh, because yes. you ain't seen nothing yet. And you thought... Baby. Bachman Turner Overdrive. Yeah. I got that. Speech impediments. I got it. I thought it was hilarious. Just in case you hadn't heard that song. I heard it. I got it. Just living, you hear at least a hundred times not not even pursuing it you are so funny i guess next one's gonna be the last one you're gonna find out what what the rest of the gang's been on to back at trucky lake and the donner's camp we'll hear more from james reed he's gonna come back like a shining knight at the end of the story full heroes art we'll hear about our old buddies william eddie and foster and what they get up to whenever they get to the place they're going to because they survived and what some of the other survivors get into after their life and all the fun adventures of the rescue efforts because there's several and they get more and more horrific accounts the more get sent out there because yeah. it's like not we'll get into it I won't go into too much detail here but like when they first start saving people yeah things are already bad you remember that before another relief effort come people were left behind there and things just continued business as usual after those people left so but we'll see how that goes so we've seen a bunch of pretty crazy gory wacky shit happen so far but buckle up because it's 
it's getting worse. It's certainly not stopping. Yeah, it's horrible. But it's history. We'll see you next time. We'll see you down that dusty trail, the Donner Trail. And we'll wrap it up. See y'all. You've been listening to a One More Mosh Pit production made possible by listeners like you and Manic Nervous Energy. I'm not going to list everywhere we're at because basically if you search for us there, you'll find us there. We're on every platform for podcast or videos. We're on YouTube now. So I make videos whenever I feel like it. This whole thing may be going full video pretty soon. I don't know how much longer we got with this podcast, but I'm going to get real weird with it. If you liked what you heard here today, tell your friends, tell everyone. If you didn't like what you heard here today, you keep your whore mouth shut. One more mosh pit music written and performed by Blake Foster. Check him out with his band, Chainsaw Lassie.